Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Well, hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I am so excited to be with all of you. And I'm so excited to be with my special guest, my brother and friend, a, a great inspiration for me and for our work. Uh, None other than Walter Brueggemann. He's our guest today. Uh, it's so good to see you, my brother. Thank you. I'm so glad to get to be with you and, uh, and with, your, uh, with your fan club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about all that, but uh, whew, it is an interesting time to be alive, isn't it? And, it uh, is. That is you know, right. I, I've, I've read so much of your stuff. I, it's hard to remember exactly when I first uh, started reading your books, brother. But I, I know, you know, for me and so many people around the world, the prophetic imagination has shaped our work. It shaped who we are. And, um, you know, for folks that are listening, we get a lot of young folks that they, they uh, are really concerned about the world that we live in. And I think that work of... Um, the relevancy of the prophets seems like a really good place to start today. <laughs> I mean, yes. I'm sure you talk about that all the time, but That's right. folks that maybe, you know, maybe even folks that didn't grow up in Sunday school and stuff, you have really helped us better understand the vocation of the prophets, who they were and why they matter to us today. So give us a little Brueggemann 101 on that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a, uh... God is not simply an object of uh, worship and theology, mm. but God is an agent in the world, and that means and are answerable to God's purposes in the world. Mm. And uh, the prophets lived uh, in, in a time of um, royal priestly power that thought they were autonomous to them, and I find that uh, then so easily transferable uh, to our own situation where people with money and power imagine mm. uh, that we can do whatever we want to do. And uh, the prophetic vocation uh, is to say that there is another will and purpose beyond ours uh, to which we are answerable. Mm. Mm. And that idea of the imagination, right? That they're not just trying to predict the future, but they're inviting us to reimagine the future and to rethink the, the trajectory that we're on right now. Uh, that that's something that we're, there's a lot of things that we're accepting as normal these days that the, the prophets, I think, would be shaking us and saying this is this should not be normal. Right. <laughs> that's exactly correct. And, you know, as you well know, the the, uh, the issues that seduce us have not changed much from the ancient world mm. to our own world about money and power and control and self-indulgence and idolatry, the, the, the catalog remains fairly constant for us. <laughs> Who was it? I think it was Wendell Berry that said, uh, 
our money might say in God we trust, but our economy looks like the seven deadly sins, right? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. All seven of them. Right, right. <laughs> Good heavens. Yeah, yep, yep. So, uh, you know, I, I think um, when, when you look at the scripture, it can feel like, you know, this this vast distance between the ancient word that we read and the world that we live in. But like you just said, there's some really incredible parallels. But I think for a lot of folks, there, there's it's hard to learn to love scripture, right? Like you you love it. I, I know so many of my rabbi friends have told me the story of how rabbis would put honey on uh, you know, the Hebrew scriptures so that the children would learn how sweet it is and they would learn to, to love it, you know, but uh, I, I think scripture doesn't always taste like honey to everybody, right? No, so- it does not. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, if, if, you, if, you, if you do not come at scripture uh, with an openness uh, to imagine differently, uh, then it's very hard to make any connections to scripture. Yeah, I think that's why the prophets uh, use so many different figures and images uh, to try to show all kinds of connections. It's the same. It's the same connections that Jesus makes in his parables, in which he tells very down-to-earth stories uh, to make those connections. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, for folks that, that may have not gone to seminary, too, there's there's ways that you've helped us think about Scripture that um, uh, um, be, because, you know, so, some of it is just you're, you're when you grow up in church, you're taught this is the word of God. It's inerrant. It's infallible. And then you start to really see some holes in the theology that's been put on us. You start to ask questions and doubts. And some of those religious containers are not big enough to hold the questions. And so folks just end up kind of endlessly deconstructing and leaving church and they don't want anything to do it. So help, help, like, how do we think about scripture? Like, how, how do we, uh, um, uh, you, you know, you, you've done so much work on this for, help us, help us have a better understanding of scripture. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> thanks very much. Well, I, I would say, uh, that what we have to pay attention to is the human side of Scripture, that these are real words written by real men and women in real historical contexts. And if you do that, for example, if you focus on uh, Jeremiah, uh, and Jeremiah lived at a time when his society was falling apart, then, then the way to read the book of Jeremiah is to ask What's it like to live in a world that's falling apart? Mm. And then you think, oh, that's the world we're living in. Our <laughs> world is falling apart environmentally, uh, financially, morally, in every way. And then Jeremiah, uh, on the one hand, had to tell the truth about his world. And on the other hand, he had to, to find some way of talking about hopeful possibility, even in the midst of the demise of his world. Mm. And I think that continues uh, to be the prophetic task, is to tell the truth about our world, and then to tell the hope uh, that is still at work in that world. Mm. That's right. That's a good word. 
And, and where, you know, for obviously for those of us that, you know, we call ourselves red letter Christians, Jesus is at the center of everything that, and, you know, scripture says that this is the full revelation of God. So we don't just have the words on paper. We've got the word made flesh. Uh, and I, I often think of Jesus as kind of the sounding board for everything. So when scripture seems like it's at odds with each other, Jesus is the referee and, you know, kind of <laughs> helping us yes, know yes. how to navigate. But yeah. how do you see Jesus fitting into this, you know, bigger story too? Well, Jesus is, is undoubtedly uh, situated in the prophetic tradition. So yeah. he continues uh, to tell the truth about the world uh, for example, in his woe saying, woe to you, and he weeps over Jerusalem because Jerusalem is, is self-destructing. Mm. Uh, and what I like to think is that the, that the judgment of the prophets issues in the crucifixion of Jesus and the hope of the prophets issues in the resurrection of Jesus. Mm. So that the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus are the extreme articulation of the of the reality of prophetic faith that simply will not accommodate itself uh, to the world that we take for granted. Mm. So I want to I want to keep a close connection uh, between the the great claims of Jesus and the whole prophetic tradition in which he stands. Mm. Ooh. And when you when we think of Jesus and America, <laughs> you know we've got this uh, this way that we've um, distorted the gospel and try to uh, camouflage nationalism as as in, con conflate it with Christianity. And I put on the the socials the other day, something like Jesus uh, wasn't white. He didn't speak English. <laughs> you know, the, the, flag, the flag is not a Christian symbol and the national anthem is not a worship song. Um, the Bible doesn't say God bless America. It said God so loved the world. But we, we've really um, gotten things really off right when with the, the christian nationalism now surging yeah. the january 6 hearings you saw the jesus flags and the uh, uh i mean the confederate flag the you know the trump flags all uh, there as yeah. people's lives were in danger some people's lives were lost uh on the one hand there's not a it's not exactly surprising that it surfaced in this way but it, yeah. it's still equally disturbing, isn't it? Like, how, it how are you navigating these, these times we're living in right now? Yeah. How are you yeah. navigating it? <laughs> <laughs> well, not easily. <laughs> well, I, I think if you, if you think about white America, thinking that it is the chosen people of God, that is exactly what the people in ancient Jerusalem thought, that they were the chosen people of God, and we can do whatever we want, and nothing bad can ever happen to us. Uh, and uh, the prophetic tradition said to ancient Jerusalem, that is not true and big trouble is coming. Uh, and uh, what I think we have to say to white nationalism, it's not true. And if you keep on with this, big, big trouble is coming. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's not easy to see how that might fall out. The, the, the arrogance we have, for example, about, about the industrial uh, exhaustion of our environment, 
is, is a function of our thinking we are chosen people and we are entitled to dominate creation and use it any way we want without answering for it. And uh, what we are learning now very quickly is that that's not true. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're hearing it all here, y'all. Uh, and if you're just tuning in, I'm Shane Claiborne, and I'm talking with uh, Walter Brueggemann. And we're talking about the prophetic imagination. We're, t- we're talking about the word of God, the world we live in, and, w- and, 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 and what we're to do with these crazy times. And uh, w- when you think of that prophetic imagination, there's not an anecdote for what it looks like or, you know, what they're, they're all so beautifully creative. The prophets are all navigating their particular time, the principalities and powers, the sociological context, historic context are in. We're kind of doing the same thing. But what, what does that prophetic spirit, what do you feel like it does to us today? Like, what, what are some things that if we are really trying to listen to God, to feel with God, to move with God, are there ways you see it expressing itself yeah. that might help us navigate things right now? <laughs> well, I, I think uh, uh, in addition to telling the truth about our uh, deathly choices as a society, uh, the, the, the uh, widow, orphan, and sojourner are the litmus test of biblical faith mm. for, the, for the covenantal tradition, for the prophetic tradition, and uh, what we, as, as you know more than almost any of us, what we have to do is to find ways of being in solidarity with uh, and supportive of widows, orphans, and immigrants, and all those who are left outside the wealthy power structure of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's something uh, that may take place very locally. Uh, and uh, we have we have to find ways of investing our energy and our imagination uh, and our leverage uh, mm-hmm. in uh, support of those who are all around the edges of our society, but who are increasingly left out and left behind. Yeah, and that is the that is the construction of the alternative world. I think that Jesus called the kingdom of God. Mm, mm. And when, when you when you think of the kingdom, I think of how you know uh, upside down it is, right? The last are first, the first are last, the mighty are cast down, the lowly are lifted up. I mean, everything's yep. moving the other direction. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> and uh, uh, but you know, one of the things that Jesus does that is very just so beautiful is. Joan Chittister, Sister Joan Chittister puts it like this. She says, Jesus is consistently challenging the chosen and including the excluded. So all the folks that, you know, were pushed out that we thought, you know, uh, they, 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 they're not in, they're out. Those are the, you know, that, that's when Jesus is saying to the religious folks, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead that's of right. you, right? Okay. <laughs> he right. says that to the religious folks. So, yeah. um, but he's kind of challenging who's in and who's out. And it makes a whole lot of sense. If you look at our world right now, all the gatekeepers of Christianity and morality, the power, you know, the power hungry folks that are out there, like, boy, it's doing a lot of damage to the, the 
kingdom of God, the holy work of bringing the reign of God. Um, but it's also interesting because you look at the prophets and the Hebrew scriptures, and there is this hope that we would, that there would be a people that are holy, that are set apart, that That's are right. um, showing what a society of love can look like, right? That's right. So when you think about that, like, do you still think primarily like that's the vocation, the role of the church? Is it bigger than the followers of Jesus? Because Jesus seems to include some people that were outside the fold, but yeah. it's not it's not compromising the fact that we are centered around Jesus. So how do you think about that, especially in kind of a pluralistic society? What is it? Well, it, I, I think the I think the uh, the reach of this possibility uh, may be grounded in the church. Uh, but it reaches far beyond the church uh, to try to impinge upon state policy and state practice. Uh, so what, what, we, what we really need when we think large is that we, we need uh, a, a reallocation of our federal resources uh, that, that are not devoted mainly to power and control and expansiveness uh, but, but are devoted to the well-being of those who are at the margins. Uh, mm. And uh, as soon as you do that, somebody's going to cry, socialism, socialism. <laughs> it's, not, it's not socialism. Uh, it is simply uh, trying to find ways of policy formation uh, that have to do uh, with the priorities uh, that Jesus lived out. So yeah. uh, there is that text, as you know, in Luke, where Jesus has his catalog of the blind, the deaf, the lame, the lepers, the poor, and the dead. Mm. And they are the ones uh, to whom uh, the juices of the kingdom uh, mm. bring new sources of life. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think of that that text that becomes so familiar and we, we talk about it all the time, but the, you know, the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25 and, and all, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me, but one of the things that's really striking as you look at that is that um, uh, when, when that final judgment happens uh, and, and, and God says, when I was hungry, you fed me, the people say, when did we do it? You know, it's, it's, all. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Maybe part of the point is uh, that some people are doing this work and they 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 don't even know that they're doing it to Jesus. When you visit exactly. someone in prison, when you welcome the stranger, well, I thought I was just welcoming an immigrant from right. Haiti. No, that was Jesus. You know, That's you were right. entertaining <laughs> angels unaware, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And it almost doesn't matter, right? Like, because it doesn't take any zeal and love for Jesus, like away from me. I, I want to do it all the more, but it does give me. Uh, some a better understanding as I'm listening to you, Walter. You know that I mean there there's some folks that are going to say Lord, Lord, and God's going to say I didn't know you. Like you didn't come visit yeah. me in jail. You didn't. That's exactly right. When I was yeah. hungry, you know. <laughs> so and there's other so what we doing what that we only have, work. Yeah, go we ahead. Have to learn over and over and over because we keep forgetting it is that the gospel arises from below. It's mm. always from the from the people who are at the bottom of the heap uh, that the good news comes and it comes in brotherly sisterly acts of justice and mercy and compassion mm. Uh, mm. and it's astonishing uh, how we've gotten this so distorted 
uh, in our uh, triumphalist theology. Yeah, it sure is. Well, what a gift. We've got a few minutes left, and I want you to tell us and everybody listening about the work that you're doing now, because you're such an inspiration to me. I, I, I won't throw, I, I'm not going to ask you exactly uh, how old you are, but I know Tony, you know, our friend Tony Campolo, he always says, we're as young as our dreams and as old as our cynicism. And then sometimes he would say to us when we were in college, and I'm younger than a lot of you because you've gotten cynical, you know, so. <laughs> You're as young That's as your right. dreams, but you're That's still good. writing. You're writing, a, I think, not even just a book, but a whole series now, right? That I'm looking at uh, this Deliver Us, Salvation and the Liberating God of the Bible. Tell us about your what you're doing now. Well, mainly I, I'm, I'm finishing up some manuscripts, but what the work I'm doing now are mainly blogs. And uh, happily, a couple of publishers uh, have agreed to uh, make those into collections. And I have uh, three little uh, books of prayers that are coming out from Westminster John Knox uh, in the next uh, year or so. Uh, so I'm I'm only doing I'm 89, so I'm only doing very small pieces of work, uh, but uh, it keeps me uh, off the street and from bothering my wife too much. So I sit at my desk. So yeah. <laughs> and, and what are you learning what are you what are you thinking about that because because boy it's, what what a gift it is to, to to just keep keep uh mining the fields the treasures of wisdom that are out there and yeah. thinking new thoughts what are you reading what are you thinking new what questions are you asking that that we well, might I, be asking when we're we're 89 i i i read a book called evil geniuses Mm. which is a description of the, of the long-term right-wing takeover of our politics. Uh, he calls them evil geniuses. And at the, at the end of the book, the author lists eight uh, propositions of the right wing uh, that are their truths. And what I'm doing now is I'm working on a series of blogs uh, to answer those eight claims and to show why those eight claims of the right wing are uh, false and distorting. Mm. Uh, so that's my current little exercise. Mm. It's, not, uh, it's not really breaking any new ground, but it's trying to uh, formulate things in fresh ways. Yeah, and you know, folks, folks uh, all the time are asking each other, I mean, I'm, I'm getting asked this a lot, where we find hope. Um, and, and I, I want to and by asking you where you're finding hope, and I'll tell you a little bit of where I see it is that, um, well, first of all, it seems to me that Jesus has survived the shameful things that Christians have done in his name, <laughs> and, right. and that that's been true for uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, right. and in fact, right. the landscape of Christianity is really big, and that's part of what we're trying to do in Red Letter Christians is recognize that some of the loudest voices haven't been the most beautiful voices or the faithful voices. And, right. and, and, you know, as we think of Trump evangelicalism, this kind of colonizing force that's um, trying to really take over the narrative of Christianity, I, I tell a lot of people rejecting that is not the end of your faith. That might be the beginning. <laughs> like right. say, Saying right. no to one version 
of yeah. really a, a kind of toxic version of our faith. It might yeah. be the, the the beginning of something new. So what about you? Where where are you seeing hope outside well, in, of all the funkiness? In in, in small ways. I, I, I worship in a Methodist church and our church uh, recently bought a house, spent a lot of man hours, woman hours, and money, and we intend to be housing for an immigrant family. Mm. And it is a huge effort by the congregation to do one little thing. But it is a huge act of hope because all of these church members have been working on that, saying that our work is to welcome an immigrant family into our community. And mm. uh, they're not asking big theological questions. They're simply doing the work of the neighbor. Mm. And I think... Uh, that is the seed of, of hope for us to find those places where neighbor love is being acted out effectively. And Come it's on. happening everywhere. Yeah, it sure is. Yep. Well, you heard it here, y'all. Listen to this. What, uh, what a gift it's been. A half hour with uh, Walter Brueggemann and uh, thinking about, you know, when we're 89 years old. I hope I'm opening a hospitality house and still writing blogs and dreaming <laughs> the dreams of God. And uh, they, uh, if you haven't read the prophetic imagination and Walter's stuff, please check it out. And we're going to have more and more of him at Red Letter Christians. He's helped shape who we are. So may we live into that prophetic imagination, beat swords into plows and spears into pruning hooks and uh, cast the mighty down from their thrones and lift up the lowly. May the last be first and the first last, my brother. Thank amen, you. amen, amen. <laughs> we'll see you next time, y'all. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.